0: Yes, hello, it's Jason Louvre, and welcome back to the Ultraculture Podcast. This is episode 96, and the Third World War we appear to be entering. Very uncertain time. Obviously, I am hanging on the news and watching everything and hoping this all turns out somehow for the best, as you probably are too. I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth by trying to make any political comment on the situation because honestly, outside of just reading the Western and Russian news and supplementing that with things like hanging out on Russian 4chan, it's very hard for me to get a picture of what's actually going on between all of the state propaganda and how people are responding on message boards there and things like that. So I just don't know about the situation to shoot my mouth off about it but I am hanging in there and hoping that this calms down along with everyone else. What I do have to offer is that in very uncertain times, frightening times, times when structures that previously seemed stable, suddenly seem in danger of falling apart, which we've all had a lot of for the last few years plus, Spirituality is something you can always go back to and should always go back to. It never changes. It's a stable rock that will be there and be the same whether the world's on fire or in a rare moment going pretty good. I know this because when I was living in New York in the 2000s, I actually met a lot of people from both Russia and the Ukraine who were very very into magic, spirituality, Tibetan Buddhism, Vedanta, really hardcore spiritual paths and really took it seriously. Unlike a lot of Amer- not all Americans, but unlike a lot of Americans who tend to see magic as a little bit kitschy, maybe a little bit fairground, kind of something to be into ironically. I mean, I grew up in the 90s where we had a lot of that, but I always got the sense that people from Eastern Europe took it way, way more seriously than anyone I had met from here. That also included people from, that had grown up during the Bosnian conflict, which I met many on both sides. Well, there were multiple sides, but Serbian, Croatian, people were very, very serious. And I thought about that for a long time and I wondered why that was. And the conclusion that I came to may or not be correct, but the conclusion that I came to was that people that had grown up in the fall of the Soviet Union and the immediate aftermath knock on secondary effects of the fall of the Soviet Union, for instance, the Balkan conflict, and now it's we're still seeing knock on effects, the Ukrainian conflict grew up in situations that we just couldn't even, I think, begin to fathom in the very cush and, and comfortable West situations of warfare, unthinkable decisions that people had to make, neighbors killing neighbors. And when you're in a situation like that, when all of the structures of the world not only are falling apart, but seem to be actively malevolent, no longer seem to be on your side, where you can't trust the government, where you can't trust even the people that your kids might have been playing with yesterday suddenly are your ethnic enemies. When everything is that bad, what can you fall back on for stability? And the answer is the eternal something beyond the veil of tears of the material world. This is something that I I realized many years ago that Americans were absolutely going to need, but As our empire collapses and certainly the Western world has kind of been doing a slow collapse over the last few years. But let's set that aside for a second because it really pales in comparison with what's happening in the Ukraine. But I bring this up because it is something that I continually come back to. It is something that I continually say on this podcast and that I continually remind people of as essentially What is being offered here with magic and spirituality, which is a structure for your life that nobody can take from you, a sense of empowerment that nobody can take from you, a sense that to a certain extent you are safe and that things will work out for you that nobody can take from you, no matter how insane things seem to be in the outer world, because the whatever we want to call it, the eternal world, the the spiritual structure of the universe, the Platonic realms, the noumenon, whatever we want to call it, definitely has structure and form and seems to work along certain lines and certain laws that hold true no matter who you are or where you are. And that's good to remember when the world becomes a horror movie. Okay, on that note, I'm going to mix up the format for this show a little bit. We have been putting out a lot of podcasts that are taken from office hours, which is my feature on my school, magic.me, which you hear me talk about the school for magic meditation and mysticism where students come on live Zoom office hours with me. And we have a little bit of back and forth and I answer practice questions or or tangentially re- related questions. So you've heard a lot of content on the podcast that is drawn from that. Luckily, we have a new producer, Danny, our new producer at at... Uh, uh, Ultraculture Incorporated, who is going to be working on getting lots, lots more content out with me. So we're going to be doing all kinds of probably experimental formats with this show. It's going to be really good. One of the things we're doing for this episode is I'm going to get into the, I have a bit of a backlog of questions that subscribers have written in with rather than doing live calls with me they've written in on the site, you might've done it yourself in the subscriber sections that are textual questions that they wanted me to answer. So we pulled out some of the most compelling ones, some of the ones that I think are most universal to people who are on the path of spirituality or magic. And we're gonna, we're gonna answer some of those. Okay, so I have some questions today that I'm gonna answer about difficulties on the path obstacles that people face that keep them from making progress. So the first question that we have, a student writes in and says, I'm going through a really difficult period in my life and because of that, I've been falling off with practice. I've been falling off with meditation and my other spiritual practices. Is this a sign that I should take a break and maybe come back to it when life is a little bit more calm or or not. What should I do in this situation? Okay, this is a perfect question. It's one that everyone faces much more than just once along not only the spiritual path, but anything else they're trying to master in their life, whether they're trying to master a career, whether they're trying to master computer programming, music, surfing, anything no matter what you're studying in life, no matter what you're trying to make progress in, you're gonna hit plateaus where it seems like you're not making progress. You're gonna make, hit kind of roadblocks where it suddenly seems impossible. And a lot of this comes from just the standard ups and downs of the human nervous system and moods and the nature of life itself. One of the things that I really think impedes particularly American students of spirituality, and I know not everyone listening to this podcast is American, but most of you are. So if you're not American, I apologize. But if you're not American, you can can laugh at, not with. (laughs) One of the things that I think really impedes American students is the idea of kind of toxic positivity, the idea that we always have to be unbelievably happy and successful and good at our jobs and our personal life and marriage and kids and be working out five times a week and have a perfect body and, you know, keeping the the lawn perfectly manicured. And that's a very American thing. It is a very old American thing. It was a big deal in the sixties. It's still a big deal. And I think that It's not just that that does people a disservice. It's just that it's not realistic. I mean, unless you're on a ton of amphetamines and steroids and then at that point, that's not gonna last too long for you anyways. So it's really important to understand that life comes in waves as we can learn by studying things like Buddhism or Taoism, a lot of the Eastern traditions that really have such, not only have a core understanding of this, But base their entire system of philosophy on it, the whole core point of the Buddha, for instance, is that everything is impermanent. Everything is transitory and that when we cling to phenomenon and want them to be fixed in time, essentially, we suffer. And we suffer because we want things to not change. We want them to be perfect. We want to get to this level where everything is just exactly right. And we never suffer and we never come down from that. We want to be in the peak of the the drug high and never come down. And that's just not realistic. I sometimes think that Buddhism and also magic are essentially about human beings' relation to time. I think that humans are distinguished from other animals in the sense that they are the time-binding animal. If you look at snails, for instance, make shells, bees make honeycombs, all these animals have certain ways in which they interact with and shape the material world. but. Human beings are the only ones that can bind time, who can seek to fix a moment in place forever by, for instance, writing symbols, which plays very deeply into the psychology of magic, music, art, repeating motifs that we come back to in our relationships in jokes or On the extreme levels, building architecture, building nations, the continuity of the ideas of nations and religions and ethnicities and stories and characters that carry on from generation to generation, sometimes for thousands of years. These are all instances of mankind's binding of time. And it's what distinguishes us. One of the many things that distinguishes us from the rest of nature and makes us such an anomaly. Of course, as you would expect, it's also the source of our suffering as the Buddha points out because since we can bind time, we expect it to be an absolute. We expect time, we expect of our own power to be able to fix things in place as we want them forever. And it's just not possible because ultimately we will all be undone by the nature of time, by the nature of change itself, you know, all great empires will collapse into the sand, like the Shelley poem, Ozymandias, or simply (laughs) to make, bring it back down to earth. If you're feeling really good today, you're probably not going to be tomorrow. You're going to feel different tomorrow and vice versa. If you're feeling really bad today, you're probably not going to be feeling as bad tomorrow. Everything is in a state of flux. Everything is in a state of change. And often everything is in a state of paradox. And this is something that the Eastern traditions understand so well. And why I personally have gained so much from studying them and find them so much deeper and and, and realistic and in a sense profound than the Platonic or Neoplatonic Western traditions which are all about trying to get to a peak state trying to get to like this Pinnacle peak drug high where you're in you are in ultimate in power and It's just not a realistic view of, of reality. Ultimately. It's fascinating in its own right, but ultimately all beings are subject to old age sickness and death and Every moment, every moment of time that we pass through is in the process of dying. So for that reason, it's good to orient yourself to flux change, impermanence, and so on, because you'll be much more relaxed instead of running around trying to fix everything perfectly in place. So that's a very, very long-winded way of saying it's okay and give yourself a break if you hit parts of your practice or anything in life working out things like that where you seem to be plateauing where it becomes difficult or even distressing upsetting or just you, the the juice isn't there anymore that's absolutely fine it's the nature of things it is also the nature of the human nervous system particularly when we're thinking about things like magic or spirituality where you're probably having also peak experiences where you're having moments of transcendent insight or feelings that you are uh, heightened you are if not literally then metaphorically very high on spiritual experiences and insights and and having these kind of manic downloads and things like that your nervous system can only take so much of that so there will be valleys and troughs where where you recuperate so it's just part of the game and so my answer to make this as succinct as possible is my answer is don't stop and particularly if the reason why things are difficult is because your life is difficult that's when you want to practice most of all particularly meditation meditation is the core bedrock foundational practice For all other practices, it is the one to which you must continue returning. It is the one that you never have to second guess yourself about as to whether it's real or not because it's so blatantly obviously important and real and there's not a person, a thinking person on the planet who would really suggest otherwise. It's the one that's the most scientifically validated even down to uh, actual brain changes being observed in people who meditate long-term. And more importantly than all of that, It's the one that will see you through the storm. It's the one that will allow you to keep a calm, centered, you know, calm in even the most insane life situations, even if a war is brewing or erupting. When the world becomes a hurricane, there's only really one thing to do. And that is to go to the center of the storm to sit in the eye where it is calm and to make your decisions from there from the position of mental silence from the position of being in touch with silence which is the nature of who you are with the position of being in touch with your intuition and your higher grace your true self whatever you want to call it everyone thinks of it in different terms because it's only from that position that you will make rational and productive decisions. If you make your decisions like most people make them, which is in a state of panic, in a state of confusion, prompted by outside stimuli like the news or what other people are saying, and we're all guilty of this from time to time, then you're just gonna be buffeted about in the, the winds of, of chaos that afflict the majority of this planet sentient beings. You don't want to do that. You want to make your own decisions for yourself that are in line with your own truth and your own highest good. The only way to do that, at least to my mind, is particularly meditation, but also spiritual practice as a whole, whatever that happens to mean for you. Prayer is very good as well. Prayer is, in a sense, a type of meditation, particularly as it's practiced by the Eastern Orthodox Uh, who I've been thinking about a lot recently in light of obvious events. So it is only spiritual practice that we should return to when life goes crazy. So that's my answer. Don't stop. Keep going. Persistence is all, as Dion Fortune said, persistence is everything. It counts for more than anything else. It counts more than how you know, whether you did some seven hour ritual one day or you happen to have an insight or you read this book or whatever, none of that matters as much as persistence. Even whether you succeed or fail in anything you do in life, if you are failing again and again, persistence is all. And if you persist, you win as much as is possible on this sublunary world. Okay, so the next question we have, written in by a subscriber, is also an extremely, extremely common one and is one that pretty much everyone has when they first get started looking into this stuff. And that is, I wanna get started with spiritual practice and and magic, but I see that there's all these things you need. Like I'm looking in these books and there are all these pictures of temples and wands and robes and pentacles and all of that. Do I need all of that stuff to build or buy or something before I get started practicing because that seems quite expensive and quite overwhelming. No, you do not need any of that stuff. In fact, let's take this as a moment to talk about the symbology of magic, okay? It's symbolism. When you see these pictures of grand high wizards in these old theosophical books or occult books or Hollywood has played a big role in in influencing people's imagination about these things. It's just stuff, okay? It's just set dressing. Now, yes, you can build those things if you like them, if you if they help you get in the mood. But I want to be very clear about this because I have always in my life shied away from the kind of hammer horror factor or the... The, this over-the-top theatricality that people get into with magic for a lot of reasons. One is, it's pretty cringe most of the time, honestly. The other is, it's cringe both in a- aesthetics and it's also cringe in that people who really buy into that stuff are trying to make them seem make themselves seem like something special with all their robes and Masonic regalia or you know their Stevie Nicks like you know, flowing, witch costumes and things like this. And it it just, it's just kind of like, you know, reminds me of the spirit Halloween store most of the time. So the other reason that I shy away from it is it's kind of a missing of the point, all of this stuff is metaphor. It's metaphor. Now, if having the physical objects or representations of the physical objects helps you then by all means, and it can certainly be a good exercise to make that stuff and to do it the way you want to do it. And there are certain parts of the magical path where, yes, you do need to construct or find tools and things like this. But I want to make it clear what tools in, in so-called magic really are. They're just meditation foci. Okay, let me break this down and make it even more clear. So you've probably seen a mandala, uh, Carl Jung, made them very famous when he was doing his his bit. And so a mandala is a painting that is usually circular that represents one's internal psychocosm expressed outward into symbols or art or kind of a map of the universe. This is in a sense, the essence of all magic. You take what is inside you, make an external representation of it and then change the representation So that it, at the very least, changes the internal reality and then perhaps by some knock-on effect, changes the wider world around you. It will certainly change your perception of the world, which is all that you really have at the end of the day. But that's really the mechanic of what's going on. So when we look at the Eastern traditions where we see these beautiful mandalas of, for instance, yogic or Vedic mandalas of of the deities and and yogic chakras and things like this. Or we look at Tibetan Buddhism, excellent example, where we have these beautiful thangkas of tantric practices or God forms or maps of Buddhas leading one to enlightenment and this type of thing. These are mandalas. So in the Western tradition, the Western esoteric tradition, which comes out of Masonry and, and people like Agrippa and Trithemius and, and the Renaissance and has its own very storied history and is really a specific and well-defined spiritual path and can't in some ways be just made up the, in the Western tradition. The mandala you manifest out of yourself is often three dimensional. It's, you know, an altar with magical tools, a magical circle, all of the stuff that we've seen. It's only one way to do it, but I want to make it really clear that that's what it is. It's physical representations that are symbols of things that are already in you. So for instance, the magical cup represents your own faculty of intuition, of understanding, of ability to receive from the universe. The wand represents your willpower, your word, your ability to manifest your will into the world. The dagger represents the ability to separate one thing from another, your discrimination, and so on and so forth. Now, it's useful to have the physical tools to remind you of that. But once you understand what these things actually are, what you should realize, I hope, is that they are not absolutely necessary. Everything that you have to do anything in your life is within you. And if you are a good quote unquote magician, meaning somebody who is has the skill and art to be in touch with not only the deepest levels of their own self, but to be able to over a period of time manifest that out into the world, then not only do you not need any specific tools, because it's already in you already, but anything and everything can be a tool for your will to manifest into into the world. So, you know, I, I, in my, in my heady young days when I was running around with secret societies and things like that, I I would be constantly meeting people who would show up in robes, carrying staffs and all this ridiculous Renfair stuff. And I would just kind of show up in a parka and, you know, (laughs) proceed to actually do really serious magic. And that was always my approach to it. If you're actually good at a skill, you don't need to advertise it. In the same way that when a lot of people try to wear really flashy clothes and jewelry and things like that to pretend to be rich. And when you meet actually rich people, they're usually driving beat up cars and wearing jeans and a t-shirt and trying to appear not to be rich. So it's funny how the world works like that sometimes. So my answer is, if you are trying to get started on the magical path, don't worry about it. There's a couple things that you can do. Now, of course you wanna learn, for instance, the elemental symbolism, you wanna learn the symbolism of magic. And in that sense, having an external representation can be very helpful, but you can write things on paper if you need to. You can, instead of having, a wand you can have a book of matches if instead of having a a you know beautiful ornate cup you can have a dixie cup or something like that you know the, all of that is perfectly valid the point is that you need to make it profound and meaningful magic is the process of investing things with meaning and if you can't invest a Dix, as Lon Duquette has pointed out, if you can't invest a Dixie cup with meaning, then you're not going to be able to invest, you know, a, a multi-million dollar chalice or, you know, whatever. So just keep coming back to the fundamental understanding that magic is about what's going on internally. And you can get in touch with that by meditating and going within. Or if you want to begin the process of manifesting outside of yourself, then you can do it by creating tools tools. And trying to understand your internal psychocosm by creating an external mandala, whether that's art, whether that's music, whether that's a magical temple, or whatever happens to call to you the most. If you're an artist, you probably have an immediate understanding of what I'm talking about. Creating a business is a magical act. Working in a career, attaining success in a career, and manifesting a successful career is a magical act. It works along the exact same dynamic as trying to manifest a quote unquote temple, which makes you think, what is a temple really? Manifesting a family and a successful life and happiness is a magical act that is creating things in manifestation around you. And that is what the symbolism of the magical temple is perhaps pointing to. It doesn't mean you have to have this specific cup and this specific wand and things like that. It's a symbol and a metaphor pointing to the fact that you are constantly creating your own reality around you. And I don't mean that in a a glib new age way. I mean that in you really are constantly choosing by the many, many choices you make every day, what world you wanna live in? Who will be there with you? What job will you do? What will you eat? What will you dress like? How will you present yourself to the world? What your ultimate goals will be? How you will spend each day? These are all not random happenstance, even if they seem like it, most people who are unaware think that it is random, but of course it's not random for them either. All of these things are created by our constant will, our constant never ending stream of decisions, from one moment to the next about what we will do or not do, what we will think or not think, what we will say or not say. That is to a large extent, the magic by which we create our worlds and we create our lives for ourselves and for other people, whether those lives be lived in heaven or hell in this world right now. So that leads me to the third question, which directly relates to this, which is, I have problems visualizing. Will that hamper my progress? This is also an incredibly common question and lead, kind of leads on from the previous one where a lot of people, you know, if people are asking about magical tools, usually they are creating something physically r- rather than visualizing it. And often people will simply visualize, for instance, the tools, if they're doing that type of practice rather than building them. But then Often people have the reverse question, which is, well, I can't visualize. And this is something that I often hear people say. Now, I will challenge the idea to a certain extent that you can't visualize. I think that people are visualizing all day long. I just think that they have kind of unrealistic expectations of what visualization should be like. They think it's gonna be like special effects and that they will actually be able to see something. And there's a lot of books on this subject that aren't particularly helpful in that regard because they hype people up with unrealistic expectations. But we are thinking of things all day long. We are imagining things that may happen to us or that did happen to us all day long. And and that's all visualization. Or we're thinking of something we want to happen or that we don't want to happen or that we have to buy at the store today or or work that we have to do, things like that. That's all visualization, and just because it's fairly ephemeral doesn't mean it's not visualization. So the number one response I have to people who say that they can't visualize is, how much have you practiced? So similar question, people will often say, I can't remember my dreams, which is, by the way, a very good preliminary practice or or helpful side practice to visualizing while awake, I say, how much have you practiced? If you can't remember your dreams, well, then you're normal. But if you wanna get good at this stuff, you have to actually learn some skills and practice them. It's not necessarily gonna to come to you innately. You have to learn the skills and you have to practice them, which is why magic.me exists is why there's all these training modules and information and, and step-by-step guides on how to do this stuff on magic.me. So let's take dreaming. For instance, if you write your dreams down, I challenge anyone listening to this, to do this. If you write your dreams down every morning for three months religiously, and that means if you don't remember any dreams, You write down, I didn't have any dreams, but every morning you wake up and the very first thing you do is reach for your blank book or notepad. Don't make it a phone because those things destroy everybody's mental faculties, but you reach for some blank paper and you write down what dreams you had and you sit there for a couple minutes and really try to think what you dreamt. A lot of it will come rushing back to you. Now, it has to be the first thing you do. So don't get up and take a shower or talk to your significant other or play with your dog before doing this. It has to be the very first thing you do. But if you do this for three months, I guarantee you, I absolutely guarantee you, by the end of that three months, you will be writing pages of dreams. You will have such vivid recall and your dreams will become so much more real and, and extensive and with plot development and and characters and you will wonder how you missed all of this before. You'll wonder how did I sleep a third of my life away. There's a really easy way to turn that on and that's simply by putting your your conscious will and intention on it to develop the skill. It's the exact same with visualization. It's the same with physical exercise. All these spiritual things that we talk about are really not special. They're not clever. They're not the provenance of special people who are blessed by the gods or whatever, or these unhelpful narratives we have about this. They're skills that you can practice just like going to the gym and working out will make you physically stronger if you practice meditation, if you practice dream recall, if you practice Any of these techniques, you're going to get much, much better at them. And it's really as simple as that. So my first answer to this question is, if you feel you can't visualize, practice more. All of the techniques and the tools of magic are essentially they're there to help you in that process they require you to visualize and therefore they require you to get good at visualizing so it's a process you have to develop it it doesn't come all at once naturally and often people are tempted to cheat by the way by taking psychedelics and things like this and i'm not saying you can't do that but it is not the same thing the the path of magic and by the way, only comes in a very short burst, leaving you often more confused than you began and you know doesn't necessarily aid in your, your progress otherwise than in that short period of time. The, the practice of magic in, in many senses is to get really good at visualization, is to build that muscle so strongly that, for instance, you can visualize in profound detail a new life for yourself until it's so clear whether it is a new job, a new relationship, a new role, a creative project you're trying to bring into manifestation, a business you're trying to bring into manifestation, until it's so clear that it is realer than real, that it feels more real and is more vivid and detailed to you than the dream we call waking life. When you can do that, when you've developed that muscle to that level, then, well, you can do anything because it's at that point that that can't not come into being. It can't not manifest, and it may not be in exactly the way that you expected it to, but since that overwhelming fixed idea is guiding your entire nervous system, you can't help but take actions and make decisions in ways that bring that closer to existence. And it can be spooky as if things really do manifest by quote unquote magic when you do things like this. But in order to do it, you have to build that muscle. You have to practice day in day out through meditation, through ritual, through visualization, until you develop that faculty. If your, your question is will, vis- will lack of visualization impede my practice? My answer is simply the practice is the practice will develop your faculty of visualization. So keep at the practices because that's how you build the faculty. So just like my my answer to pretty much all questions is just keep going. It was pretty much the answer to all three of these questions. It was just keep practicing. Don't worry if difficulties and obstacles arise. That is the nature of things that is natural, whether it's for this skill or any other in life, just keep practicing, just do it. All right. Hopefully that will be of help to people listening to this or clarify things a little bit. Thank you to the students who wrote those questions in. If people like this format, I will come back to it, but we're working on lots more stuff, more interviews to come, and it's going to be, it's going to be a ride. Okay. I will see you in class and hang in there.